You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and this is a special bonus episode. My guest this week is Maya Patterson, who is a product designer in Chicago, Illinois. In our interview, you'll hear us talk about how she got started, some of the challenges she's faced as a black woman in design, and we talk about the outcome of the election and how designers can use their skills and talent in the community to help social issues. I wanted to put out a bonus episode this week because, well, if you've been here in the United States, I'm sure by now you heard about our recent presidential election. Donald Trump is going to be our new president. And because of that, emotions have been running high. There have been protests in the street. There's been acts of violence. And I've heard from a lot of designers who want to know what they can do to try to help out during these times. Not help out with the protests or the acts of violence, I mean, but help out with using what they have as designers in order to affect social change. So hopefully uh, my conversation with Maya will give you some food for thought. Let's start the show. All right. So tell us who you are and what you do. Hi, so I'm Maya Patterson, and I'm a product designer at Trunk Club, which is headquartered in Chicago. I am working with the member-facing team to build out experiences for our apps, websites, anything basically that's digital and non-digital sometimes that our members go through and use in order to interact with stylists. So that involves me working with engineers, PMs, other designers, other stakeholders within the company every single day to help build out these awesome experiences. What's a typical day like for you at Trump Club? (laughs) I feel like almost every product designer, UX designer, or designer in general doesn't really have a typical day, except for the fact that it changes every day. Mm -hmm. But it really depends on the project. So most recently, I've been focused a lot on our onboarding process, which is the sign-up process. So basically, anytime you sign up for a service, how do you get users to actually sign up and use. So conversion. And this is a really difficult problem to solve for almost every single company. And we decided back in January to do an entire revamp of both our men's and women's onboarding processes. So for those that don't know what Trunk Club is, it's essentially outfitter service that users can use in person or online where they are matched up with their own stylist. And that stylist picks out clothes for them based on any events they might have coming up or just general wardrobe needs. And either they ship them a box of clothes and you return it or you can come into the clubhouse and get outfitted there. So I'm working on both the member facing and or the men's and the women's onboarding processes. And so my day to day could look like doing a ton of user research on what's going well with this current onboarding process or what's not going well. So That could be recruiting people to come in and and go through our process and talk to us. That could be me synthesizing the results with my team and figuring out what to do with them. Sometimes I do a lot of sketching. So my favorite tool is is actually my notepad. So my pen and paper, because I can quickly iterate on different ideas that I have that come through that user research. And so I might sketch a whole bunch of different ideas and, and ship like shop them around to my team members and get their opinions on it and spend a day doing that and then getting into sketch and and mocking up the user interface for it building out prototypes could take up some of my day and then potentially setting up another usability session and testing some of those prototypes with actual people sometimes online sometimes in person and then working with engineers I guess this isn't this isn't really a typical day to day. I could be doing any one of these things any day and they usually take out most of the day or I'm kind of like hopping in between all of this. Mm-hmm. But then I'm working with engineers to build out that experience that we think is going to be right in, in a sprint based structure. How did you first get into product design? <laughs> On accident? No, I got really lucky. So. I went into college, so I I went to college at Washington University in St. Louis, which is a mouthful, so we just call it WashU, and (laughs) I thought I was going to be in pre-law, or going into law, so I was in the pre-law program, but I was kind of bored out of my mind, and I happened upon UX, and I, I did an internship and loved it, 
which was a blessing and a curse because I realized I loved it. But then when it came to, okay, so what sort of degree do I need to get into this? That was pretty unknown. And it was really, really difficult to figure out, okay, what should I do now as a college student to be able to prepare myself to get at least a junior level job, you know? Mm-hmm. And that information wasn't there. And all of my mentors, I've had a ton of like professional mentors up until this point, but UX design was pretty new at that. It's still new. And so half the people I talked to didn't even know that this existed, even professors. So I kind of, I uh, met an amazing woman who's still my mentor today. I call her Dean Hill still, even though I'm not a student. And she decided with me that psychology would be a good path, which was actually amazing decision of mine. And I used that degree, supplemented it with internships and haphazard freelance work to just get my hands on some like digital problem solving stuff. And yeah, and that's kind of how I got my way into the field. That is an interesting way. I mean, I figure because, you know, user experience does take into account different, you know, psychographics and demographics and personas Mm -hmm. and things like that. Psychology would be a good mix because it's about kind of getting into the mind of the user and anticipating their needs. Yeah. I wish that I remembered more than I actually do. (laughs) But but I remember when I was there, three classes stood out. One was social psychology for obvious reasons, just learning about people's behaviors and social motivations and drivers and what brings people together and why they make bad decisions, essentially. Another was we had to learn how to conduct research. And that actually was really useful skill to learn as I do user research in my day-to-day job. So understanding how to create like a test environment and how many people you need and the sample size and all that. And then another one was on learning and memory, which was not directly applicable at all to product design necessarily, but it just opened up my mind to like how people even begin to learn about things. I almost want to take it again to see if like how much it could influence my work today. Mm-hmm. What sort of challenges did you face once you, I guess, really started getting into into product design? I know you said you had that internship and you realized this is what you loved, but did you face any challenges kind of going from there to where you are now? You mean from like my first internship to actually getting a full-time job? Yeah. WashU is a predominantly white institution and it's like medium-sized. And so the black community is super small, which means like we're all pretty tight with each other. And I was like the only one that I knew even doing anything really in tech. So there's people, there was a few computer science majors and and whatnot. And I even tried that out. I had a really terrible semester one year because I just couldn't figure out what to do next. And I couldn't find where to go to figure out like what the right path was. Like I was very driven and I wanted to, I would put in the extra work, but there just didn't seem to be a lot of resources for early UX designers to to practice on their own, to create projects for themselves. I found some things online. Like I did a lot of reading up on like UX beginner and just a ton of different online blogs and medium actually was super helpful. Went back when it was new because it was mainly just designers, Mm -hmm. but it just didn't feel like there was anyone there Mm -hmm. to show me what to do next. And then I finally, (laughs) this pissed me off so bad. I finally found this class called Interaction Design. And I was like, wait a minute. And this was my senior year that I found this after Uh asking multiple guidance counselors. And it was (laughs) in the art school. And I went in there. But it was like the most intimidating, not welcoming sort of environment. And I kind of already knew what, like, a lot of these principles that they were talking about. But it was these trained, like, graphic designers, pretty much all white students and they all acted like they knew like all how to do all these Photoshop tricks and illustrator. I didn't have Photoshop or illustrator. Like those things are really expensive. I didn't know how to get access to them. So then I felt like I couldn't translate my thinking in the way they could. And so like, I wasn't really a part of that community. So I, I just didn't feel included at all. And then I didn't also see myself represented anywhere. I just constantly was seeing like white male designers, which was fine. And I was learning what I could from them, but I don't know. It just, it was kind of hard. And if I didn't have the internships, like if I didn't find those internships, which I got lucky finding, mm-hmm. I don't know how I would have gotten to where I am. Did faculty help at all? Or was it kind of the same no. thing? No, <laughs> oh, there was no faculty help. Now, mind you, like I said, I found out about that class, like my senior year, but it's kind of crazy to think I was a freshman 
who found early sophomore who found out she was interested in UX design is was actively looking through all of the catalogs and everything, all the courses, trying to find where she can go, talk to multiple counselors. We had like four counselors. I don't know why at my school um, mm-hmm. and advisors. And but no one knew how, where to direct me. And I finally, finally found it like senior year. And even when I did the professor, I could tell even though I was coming to his office hours and doing things, he graded me lower than all of our I'm pretty positive, like our entire class, even though my team won the huge project that we did. And I played a key role in that. And it just it felt like he didn't want me there. You know, it just felt like he wasn't really listening or he would kind of like show me some books or whatever that I could read. But he didn't really lend himself to me as a resource and as someone that he could introduce me to other people, as I'm sure he did for some of his other students, I think. I got you. I got you. I mean, I think, you know, when we talk about, quote unquote, the pipeline as it relates to, you know, more students, particularly students of color coming into the design industry or ostensibly into the tech industry, you know, going through a four year college is sort of part of that part of that pipeline. But one thing that doesn't really get discussed is, you know, the blockages, I guess, that could happen along the way. And you're not the first guest that I've had that has said that as they were in school learning that it felt like their faculty was kind of actively trying to stop them from getting to this goal of learning, you know, the field, which is, is pretty sad. I mean, I think that does warrant an examination into, you know, these types of schools and these types of programs, because if they're not going to be preparing the next generation of designers based on some inherent biases that they might have, that's a real problem that needs to be addressed and needs to be handled. Right. And it's hard to even say, like, were they was I experiencing like faculty bias against me? Maybe, maybe not. But it didn't feel like they cared. Uh And that to me is enough to show like, I don't know, it's very discouraging. So and I mean, that's why when I realized that I started talking to all of my friends who are like majority black at school about what I was doing, like UX design in general, just putting that word in their heads constantly. Cause I was like, guys, like this is an amazing field. I bet you lots of you would love this. If you have any questions about it, you know, to hit up your girl. Like mm-hmm. I want to make myself a resource to any other black girl or black boy who is struggling to get into this field. Well, and I think, you know, it's also tough on our end because we want to be able to prove our worth. Yeah. Um, you know, we want to be able to prove our worth based on the merit of our skills. And it's difficult when the the blocks that you come up against where you you just kind of sense and know that it, it probably has to do with my race or my gender or something else but yeah. you don't want to call it out right you know what i mean because it makes yeah. it seem like you're using that as a scapegoat exactly you don't want to talk about so i'm always balancing like talking about race and my feelings about it because i have a lot of feelings about it and then not because i don't want to just be known for talking about race you know because yeah. i do have a lot of other skills but that is something that definitely needs to be talked about more and definitely is problematic. So I don't know. It's just a balancing act, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, it even carries over into the workplace where mm. you then have employees of color that have the burden of not only having to deal with those kinds of, of discriminatory practices, but then the added burden or bias of, of having to to talk about it or be the spokesperson or, you yeah. know what I mean? Like it's a delicate kind of tightrope act. For sure. Like I (laughs) was, I was the only black person on our tech team for like six to seven months or so. And then we've hired two more and I felt that every single day. But what I will say, my coworkers, I actually really enjoy them and they allow me to be honest when I did, I guess this is a different story, but when I did let down my guard and just was myself as black as ever, I haven't received any backlash for that as other people have experienced at their companies. And I'm grateful for that. And I'm like super black on Twitter and all of them follow <laughs> me on Twitter. <laughs> and I know they follow me on Twitter and they like, I'll come in the next day. They're like, my, you be wild on Twitter. I'm like, you don't even know. Like that's <laughs> getting into it. But, but you know what else they've done is like during events, like when there's murders of, of our brothers and sisters. And I, I talk about how depressed I am or even just like the election results. They reach out to me on Slack now and say, Hey, I don't know what to say. I don't know what's right, but Mm -hmm. like do what you need to do. I think it's like a good first step. We could be doing more, but even the fact that they're saying that I know is better than what 
other people experience at their companies. And that makes me feel good. It makes me feel good to know I'm not about to get fired for my blackness, basically. Yeah. Well, since you brought up the election results, let's talk about (laughs) it. We are recording this just a few days after the results (laughs) of our nationwide election. And there's a lot of emotion that's running, you know, very heavy. There's been protests. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's a lot of of enmity that is really being released. Uh, There's a lot going on. How are you dealing with it? Pretty shitty. Like, I feel like we we discussed this a little bit, but I usually when I have a knot in my chest because I'm nervous about something or I did something that I know probably wasn't the best thing to do. But those are my actions. I can correct them. This feels totally out of my control. And I just and I'm not exactly sure how to kind of cleanse some of that out of my body because I know it will affect me and my work and just interacting with people if I don't figure out how to, like, get this weight. But it's very hard to, like, understand, like, how do you have a positive attitude and a positive look on life when something like this happens? And, yeah, I took the day off yesterday. What? Yeah, he was elected on Tuesday. Yeah, so yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I just canceled all my meetings and everyone was really supportive about it and said, like, take take the time that you need. Um, it was like the worst day ever. Like, I couldn't concentrate on work at all, which made me feel guilty. And then I was worried about the fact that I wasn't being productive, but it was like, I, I couldn't concentrate. And I hate that. I hate that he can have so much power over my feelings that it is affecting my work, but it's like, how can I stop? You know, I don't know. Yeah, I'm just I'm all over the place. I'm a mess. <laughs> well, I think, you know, because it's been just a few days afterwards, everyone is still trying to they're trying to come to terms with it, yeah. uh, especially as we're seeing not just the the quote unquote graceful exchange of, of power, but <laughs> as, as we're seeing this gel into a reality when a year ago it was uh, a stunt. It's. Yeah. I, don't, I don't want to say it's still kind of a stunt. I don't want to make this a political podcast, but I mean, <laughs> last year we really saw it as like, oh, this isn't going to happen. I know. Last year, oh my god, I hate myself so much because last summer I was like, man, I hope Trump gets the nomination be- or not is the Republican nominee because there's no way he could win. Like I was joking about it because I knew such a joke, and it's not, and that's so scary to me. It's so scary. We're coming to terms with. We're trying to figure out what this means for designers. I think we're just in general trying to figure out what this means to us as people that live in this country. But to scale it down to designers, because we're on a design podcast, okay. we think about what does this mean for designers? If we look at the last eight years of the Obama administration, it has been clearly heralded by a complete embrace of science and technology and design and and ways of of using those things to really communicate to the American people. We don't know really just yet what president elect Trump, which I I even, (laughs) we don't yet know how those things are going to play into his administration. If they will play into them at all. I've had people in the past before, one of the most notably Ashley Axios was the former creative director at the white house. Mm -hmm. And I remember asking her, you know, whomever our next president is going to be, do you feel like the changes and the the policies and the the things that have been put into place by this administration are going to carry over to the next president, whomever it might be? Um, And she was optimistic that it would. I don't know now if that's the case. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you've taken a look at his 100 day, what what he's going to do in 100 days contract, but yeah, it don't look like any of that is staying. And yeah, <laughs> I think one of the one of the lines is to to basically overturn everything that Obama. Everything. There's like some generic line in there that's basically like we're gonna wipe out corruption in general. Like I can't even remember what the phrasing was, but I was like, I was talking to my boyfriend. And I'm I'm like, did that say anything aside from some generic like everything is gonna go away? That's Obama, and he was like, no. Yeah, so I don't really have much hope that any of the progress we've made will stay. And that's unfortunate, especially for, you know, Obamacare, I know, is is something that there's a, a lot of things wrong and there's a lot of, but there's a lot of things that are right with it. And yeah. I just am really scared. I'm fortunate enough where, you know, I have a job that provides healthcare plans for us, but a lot of people don't. And what does that mean for those people? 
And that's really scary to think about. Like we're supposedly the greatest nation in the world and we haven't figured out how to take care of our own people. That is, I don't know, it's, tr- it's just trash. No, it is. I mean, and these are, are things which affect <laughs> us, you know, again, just as citizens. As I was looking around the web, because I knew that there would be a million think pieces and analysis trying to slice up who to blame and what does it mean mm. for this and this and this. I was specifically looking at, you know, kind of what designers might be saying or thinking right. around this particular thing. But there was a particular post on designer news that <laughs> really just struck just a raw nerve with me. It was a, a medium post mm-hmm. and it was titled, what does the Trump presidency mean for designers? Um, and I don't know what I was expecting when I saw the title, <laughs> but uh, my, my, well, duh. Yeah. Clickbait. But I mean, <laughs> I'm like, do I want to read this? So I read it and, and this is what it is. It's three lines. Nothing. The Trump presidency means no more for designers than anyone else. Have a good day. Keep creating, which is extremely callous. Yeah. I think certainly anyone with, with, two eyes and an internet connection can see the level of unrest that has already come out just in general because of this to say that it won't affect designers more than anyone else is quite frankly, some bullshit. Absolutely. And there's so many things wrong with that statement. So what that statement says to me is a, you don't know shit about design because designers have a great day. Keep creating. (laughs) What do you, (laughs) what do you mean? Like, as if design is separated from like being a person. And also you definitely to me are like not even knowing who the writer is. You have to be a white male because I'm sorry, but my blackness, my womanhood goes into my design, which means yes, this is going to affect me and it will affect my work. And it should, especially since I'm a designer who cares about user experience. So I'm thinking about people outside of myself. You sir very clearly are not. And that's problematic. So I hope he's not, labeling himself as a user experience designer for sure. And it's just like, I don't know, it's just like a slap in the face, especially when you read all these accounts of Muslim people and Latinos and black people being called the N word, having their scarves snatched off. Like people are already experiencing ridiculous abuse and to say, have a great day, keep creating. So we're just going to ignore all of this hatred that's happening. Like that doesn't, I don't understand how you can do like I I just literally can't comprehend that thought process and why you thought that it was okay to do that. It's almost actually that's actually a violent post in my opinion. It's a bit triggering, I will say that. It's uh, it's violent. I'm going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> it was a white male that did write it. I don't know if they call themselves a UX designer, but they do refer to themselves as a designer of things. Yeah, even if not, like most likely those designs I'm assuming you're designing for people regardless and how can you not think about people in your design work. And so then how can you not think about the social situations that are going on that might be affecting those people and how that should then affect your work that people are going to use? I don't don't understand it. This this person did later try to clean it up by saying, this election won't harm designers inherently. However, humans who happen to be designers will be affected by it. What? (laughs) Right, what does that mean? I don't understand what, so what is a designer versus what is a, it won't affect designers, but it will affect humans that are designer. I don't understand. (laughs) I I mean, is he talking about bots or something that are just designed? I don't get it. Your algorithms will not save you. I don't understand. Wow. You know, as designers, of course, we love to think of ourselves as problem solvers Mm -hmm. in general. And you know, we're going to have some big problems that we have to solve in the future. Right. How do you see designers kind of, I guess, helping out now? Like, what, what do you see designers doing to help with social issues and, and bring things to the forefront? I actually was kind of thinking about this before the election and then after election, definitely thinking about this. And I, I don't have a good answer for this is what I know we need to go design tomorrow to help this set of people. I don't know. But what I do know is that design needs to push outside of the tech bubble, right? It needs to utilize the tech platform and like the technology that we have, but we need to push outside of this like Silicon Valley bubble of creating products that are only for a specific privileged 
group of people. And I recognize my own privileges and I like some of those products, but how can we start collaborating with people who are servicing like underprivileged citizens every single day, like urban city planners and healthcare workers and government officials? Who is it that we need to start pairing with? Where this, the word about like, or the concept of pairing is really hot and trendy. And you have to basically to get a job as a product designer, you need to be very good at pairing with developers and designers. Mm -hmm. Well, should we be pairing with people outside of just technology and actually showing them like, Hey, we have this amazing skill set that I think can help you do your job better. I know your job is tough. I know it's hard. Like dealing with these very real issues, like whether it's, I can think of so many social services like food stamps or transportation, things that I've used as well that I know were not designed well for people to use and are really hard to figure out. Like, how can we start partnering with those people and pairing with them to figure out those problems? That's where I see design will really become innovative and really start to transform our society and community and and reshape the world for real. But I don't know. I don't know. It, I guess it's fun to design, you know, the, the fun stuff. The, and I mean, and it's not even to say that like designers should stop doing that. It's just how can we better balance it? I want to feel like my designs are helping other people, but all types of people, especially the people that we often overlook. Mm -hmm. I think even before that can happen, what needs to, to come down is the sort of, God, what's the best way to put this? I feel like it's almost like a funhouse mirror, the way that <laughs> designers and tech looks at government and the way that government looks at tech and design. Now, I've I've been privileged to work in both fields. I've worked for NASA. I've worked for state government. I've worked for city government. I've even worked on a mayoral campaign. So I've seen it yeah. at very different levels, how government interacts with tech and design. And it's usually deferment. It's, I don't understand this. Give it to the nerds. That kind of thing. Like, yeah. I don't understand what's going on with this tech stuff. Let the smart people handle it. But then on the design side, what I see is this total, this sort of total and utter disdain and mocking of government mm -hmm. services for not being well designed or looking <laughs> good. And it's like that perception needs to cut like that wall, that distortion between the two needs to come down before that pairing, I think, can really happen. You know, it's interesting, though, because designers, at least the good designers that I know, are really good at communicating. And one of our main jobs is to be storytellers, right, and to craft stories around design decisions and bring other people, non-designers, non-tech people. I mean, I know in my everyday job, like, I have to work with stakeholders that don't have a background in technology or design, mm -hmm. and they have to contribute. I tell craft a story in a way that allows them to, to contribute and feel comfortable enough contributing their thoughts and their ideas and getting their buy-in. To me, that's still on us as well to help reshape some of that. So it doesn't feel like, oh, it's the nerd stuff to do. Well, why do you think it's the nerd stuff to do? Are you scared of it? Is it intimidating? Are we not doing a good job telling you, you know, what the process is like? Because design is, doesn't have to be that scary. Yeah, right? it doesn't. And, you know, you know, going back to what we were sort of talking about earlier with not really knowing where the next president is going to lie on these things. The one good thing that we've seen, and there are other good things and there's bad things too, but the good thing, particularly as it relates to design from the Obama administration is that willingness to kind of, I don't want to say reach across the aisle, but <laughs> to talk with each other and work with each other on yeah. creating solutions and, and making sure that these stories are told using effective design, using technology is right. going to help, you know, millions to hundreds of thousands of people, you know, like being able to make that that sort of thing happen. There's a recent video that John Green, the author, he did. And, and there's a line in there where he says that change doesn't only happen on election night and it doesn't only happen in the Oval Office. Mm -hmm. And it's up to us to find places where our skills and talents meet the needs of our community and the world and to do the hard work to make life better for all. Wow. I feel like if that doesn't speak to designers. Yeah specifically he wasn't a designer <laughs> I, he was a designer i'm not sure who else that really speaks to more succinctly than designers in terms of being able to use our skills and our talents because you know granted we're talking about this on a national level but you go state level you go city level like going to your city's website to try to 
to see oh. find things is oh my god it's a mess it's terrible oh my god right and it's really just like an information architecture problem and a user flow like if a designer gets handed okay a great example and this sorry this is getting off track but it just really showed me how how few designers are helping out like government and social services i needed to pay my parking ticket and I don't like paying my parking ticket, but I don't want to get a boot on my car. So I'm about to pay my parking ticket off. I went online and followed the instructions that they said. And when I tell you, it took me hours to figure out how to do it. It was mm-hmm. so poorly designed. And all it is is really just reorganizing. Like it's a site map exercise. It's just reorganizing content. So really what it shows is that just design hands haven't really been on it. And I think part of the reason is that well, you probably could speak to this based on your experience, but it's probably not as fun of an environment to work in sometimes. And it, it might be a little bit trickier and there's a lot more politics, no pun intended, that goes on <laughs> <laughs> when trying to make design decisions. And so your job is harder, but I don't know that I got to imagine the reward is, I mean, and I'm saying all of this, but I myself am not doing it right. So like how... I don't know. How do we just open up the conversation so we can figure out what that first step is to get more people involved in some of those experiences that desperately need our hands? I really feel like the best way to make that happen is that designers need to find out wherever they live here in the U.S., find out who their local council person is in their district or precinct Mm. where they live. Go to some meetings. Make sure they know who you are. Know like know your face show up at city council meetings because i mean this this stuff happens at a, at a very granular level so i mean even when i can say when i've worked for for city government and for local government here in atlanta it's about going to those neighborhood planning meetings so they know who you are and what your skills are and what you can do and how you want to contribute because mm. people will give you ideas right. on what they need the thing is that they may have always always had these ideas and not known who to tell them to like yeah they could tell their councilman like we need better flyers for X, Y, Z. And I mean, yeah, for a designer, doing a flyer might not be this this great sexy thing, mm-hmm. but you're doing something, you're creating something that is, is helping people out on a, 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 again, on a small level, on a granular level, but you build up to that. But getting to know who your people are in your local government, particularly your your council people, your, your you know, go to city council meetings, et cetera, so they know who you are, that helps out so much. Because I guarantee you those people that are, are the council members that are sitting up there, I'm, they don't have a designer on tap. They probably right. don't even have a designer. Well, I'm not going to say they don't have a designer employed, but it's a disconnect. Mm-hmm. And so I think for designers, it's up to us to kind of bridge that gap because they're not going to come to our hangouts. They're not coming, you know, right. they're, they're not coming to the, the latest meetup or, or the, the latest conference you know, your city council person is not going to do that unless they just happen to have a keen interest in design. If it's something that I think you're you're passionate about or even mildly passionate about, even if you're just curious, like find out in your district or your area who your council person is, see when they have their next meeting, introduce yourself, let them know that you want to help out. And I'm pretty sure they can find ways to make that happen. Now, it would sort of fall into the realm, I think, of volunteer work. Right. At first, I think eventually, though, if they see that you are a professional and these are the skills that you do, you can get paid from it. I'll say that. I'm not saying like go into it expecting that you're going to walk out with a paid gig, mm-hmm. but go into it with the spirit of wanting to help out your community. And even if it's something like I said, as small as a, a flyer or right. or a graphic on a website or something, I mean, it's something that other people are not stepping up to do. And I would imagine if these local governments do have people like one or two designers that are employed, they are swamped <laughs> to do. And probably mm-hmm. the reason that it looks so bad, that stuff looks so bad is because they have so much stuff to do and it's got to pass through so many different hands. It's designed many. Yeah. It's got to, you know, miss whatever in the, in this department needs to be able to do this. That's why all the links on this page are PDFs. Like it's, <laughs> it's stuff like that. But once you, it's, it's really, you know, it's politics that you have to go, you got to shake some hands and, and kiss some babies and all that kind of stuff. You have to go and like be a part of it. It's not something you could just sit behind your computer and make happen. You got to, you know, get out there and talk to people. That's really how it happens. I was sitting here thinking about 
what you're the one, just the fact, I think you like, what's so important that you just touched on is going to those meetings. I would have never even thought about doing that until like, I think someone said that to me like a day ago, but I imagine then that means a lot of other people wouldn't even know that like, when are the meetings happening or like what, what am I allowed to do or not allowed to do? We're Mm -hmm. not really taught how to interact. Like, especially once you come out of college or even in college, you're not really taught how to interact with your community and really like be a part of it and make changes inside your community. So I think, I hope everyone was listening really hard because I know I'm about to go find where those (laughs) meetings are and I'll be at them. But also when we're talking about earlier getting into design and how it's really difficult to get experience and figuring out like, how do I practice and how do I get real world experience? I can build up my portfolio that what you just said, just like partly solve that issue. You can give back to your community as well as start to build up your design portfolio just by doing volunteer work in your community. And and that I would never have even thought of that. Like we need to put that up somewhere like on a website tomorrow. (laughs) I'm so serious. Like people come all the time and I kind of tell them to ask around to, you know, mom and pop shops and see like, okay, do you guys have digital presence? Do you need help with design work in order to build up their portfolio? But that is an even more powerful way is to Mm -hmm. actually contact like your local government officials and and see where you can really like lend a hand like that's amazing yeah because like the thing is you know i I can you know i'm using atlanta because i live here i mean we've got studios and and firms and things that do stuff here they're not donating their services like that right because they got to keep the lights on it's got to be a certain amount of overhead so the projects that they bring in really have to be generating a lot of revenue and if it's happening that's great i don't personally don't see it happening but they're not going to be the ones that are going to the neighborhood planning unit meetings and donating services. They might try to, to you know, get in good with a, a mayoral candidate or mm-hmm. a city council candidate because they know they can get some money because this person has granted a war chest for signs and for advertising and for paying staff and things like that. They know that they can get some kind of money from it. Right. But in terms of ways to find out like where these meetings are, couple of things people can do, depending on if you live in a large city, there's public access. I think most big cities have some kind of like government channel. Like a, I know here in Atlanta, mm-hmm. I think it's like channel 24 or 26 or something. And it regularly shows when the next council meetings are, XYZ, blah, blah, blah. Two, you can just go to your city's website and try to figure it out. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck. But I think an even easier way is to find local reporters on Twitter and ask them. Because they're dialed into this, you know, if they don't know who, you know, when the next meeting is, there's probably somebody that they can put you in contact with. I'm not saying that information is necessarily in the newspaper, but there's somebody that might be working at that paper that's following that beat that would probably have that information for you. Like, just say, like, you're interested in going to the next meeting or, or something like that. And then go and, you know, go with an open mind. Don't go trying to, I mean, you know, of course you want to say that you're a designer and such, but don't go trying to, I guess, get leads, you know, like it's not a networking <laughs> event. It right. is It is, and it isn't. It is because you want to, want them to know what your services are, but also it's not for you trying to just do a, a quick cash grab, I think. It, it has to be, I feel like it should be something that is partly selfless. Yes. Because if you're just going into a thing and you're going to get paid from it, that's, you need to go into it with knowing that you're doing an act of service. And if it pays off, that's great. If it pays off in the long run, that's even better. But that's sort of what you need to go into the situation with. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely resources where, you know, you can find that information out. I mean, the city website, I think, is probably the best one because they have to put all that stuff up. Right. It might be difficult to find, but it's, it's there. And honestly, once you have that information and you go to a few of those meetings, it's you just dial it into your calendar. And it's something that you, you know, you just just do try to make happen. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome advice. So I guess with everything that we've, you know, kind of discussed, I wanted to bring up this Blavity piece that you wrote a while. (laughs) You wrote a piece on Blavity a while back about black people and UX. Like I think it was like five reasons black people and UX belong together. Yeah. (laughs) What inspired you to kind of take that perspective with that piece? It's a little bit about what we've been talking about, but just the lack of representation in this field it was really apparent to me once I got my full-time job. I mean, it, like I said, I was the only one and 
that was hard sometimes just not having someone that it's not my coworkers were excellent, but sometimes you need to have that unspoken bond, you know, a mm-hmm. little bit deeper than just working someplace. And so I started to think like, why are there not, you know, black people doing more of this work? Why don't black people know about this? And I wanted it to be something where more black people knew about it. So I'm friends with actually with the co-founders and CEO of Blavity. And I told them about this passion. They're like, you should, and they were trying to get me to write this piece for a long time, but I'm like, yeah, I'm not a writer. <laughs> so I don't know if I want to put myself out there like that, uh-huh. but I sat down and forced myself to do it because I actually cared about it. And I actually believe all the points that I wrote, like I, I kind of made it a joke in some of those, I think like, you know, we know how to season our food and stuff like that, but I actually made points I really believe in. And one of the points that really sticks out to me is I think black people know, and especially black women are taught from day one how to be empathetic to others. We are constantly putting other people's needs before our own. We are constantly supporting them. That is one of the most important parts of a product designer's or just a day-to-day job. And so if we are taught day one, then be the most heavily recruited population in design. And that just didn't make sense to me why there's none of us there. And so I wanted to point that out to others. I wanted to get people excited about it and just intrigued about design in general. And so when I, when they posted that I actually did, and I always put my like Twitter link in everything I do, because I found that's been the most excellent like resource in terms of connecting others across like the nation and the globe. People reached out to me and they were asking me questions and like, oh, I didn't even know about this, but it sounds like really interesting. I've, I'm in this field and I'm, I've been thinking about this type of research and how did you do that? And it's time consuming, but like I let myself be a resource and answer some of those questions. And I, I don't know how many of those people, you know, are actually pursuing the field, but there's that many more people that are aware of it. And who knows who they'll tell in their community or like that might now see themselves like going into design. And that's like, a micro step, but it's like a step in the right direction. And I want to do more things like that. Well, if you ever want to write something for Revision Path, let me know. See, here you go. And now, see, I'm doing this to myself and now I'm going to have to actually do it. Uh. I'm just putting it out there. I'm, no, I'm just, no, no. I'm just, I'm, the door is always open. We could always use more black design voices, yeah, especially, especially black women, but just in general, we could totally use more black design voices. So the the invitation is open whenever you're ready. I got you. Just be a little bit to mourn. Good, but I got you. So earlier you talked about Dean Hill that helped you out when you were in school. Yeah. Did you have any other mentors that have kind of helped you out along the way? Yeah, I mean, I've had a variety of mentors. I think some people know they're my mentor and then others don't. And I just kind of make them my mentor in my head, but that's okay. And it's enough for me. She's been my biggest champion from college and into my professional life. And that's, she's actually a really important influencer into why I'm in Chicago and versus like Silicon Valley. Also, when I took my first intern UX internship, there were two designers I worked with and one of them's name was Maya, which is funny, but she has been a great mentor of mine. She's an awesome designer. She works at Etsy now in New York, and she just has always lended herself as a resource to me to ask about, you know, very granular UX problems and issues all the way into, okay, like, how do you get a job in this field? And how do you craft your portfolio? And okay, so now I I just got this big responsibility at work. Like, how have you learned how to do, like, she's basically done all the things that I'm slowly starting to, you know, get experience into. And what I've enjoyed so much is she's always available and I want to do that for others too. And so I try and mimic that same behavior with anyone else that I think is interested in, in, in design. So really just personal, actually more family and family friends and early career influencers that are my mentors. Are you tapped into the local design scene in Chicago in any way? Not as much. And that's really my fault. I'm terrible at networking, but actually we recently hired three new kind of actually four new designers at Trunk Club. And one of them is Mig Rays, and he is the president here of the AIGA chapter. Mm -hmm. So I I know for sure I'm going to be hitting up those meetings a lot more now. But yeah, I'm not currently really tapped in. Definitely check out AIGA. I mean, I've. 
AIGA has a, <laughs> I feel like with the people that I have on the show, there's a very love-hate relationship that people have with the organization. I know, I've heard. <laughs> I've only been a recent member. I only joined in 2014, and I'm on the Diversity and Inclusion Task Force with them. And so I get to kind of see what other chapters are doing, and and I'm, I'm helping out with content and awareness pieces and stuff like that. Yeah. I know with the Chicago chapter, I think it's like one or two people on our on our task force that are in Chicago. One is LaShun Tynes. I don't know if that name sounds familiar. That does sound familiar. He's the div- he does something. I want to say he's a diversity chair, but I don't know what his specific title is with uh, AIGA Chicago. And then another person, her name is Kelly Naga, K-N-A-G-A. I think if you go to AIGA mm-hmm. Chicago's website, I'll um, look it, up. it should have their, their email addresses. But I would say if you're interested, like hit them up you know let them know you talk to me I, I hate to drop my name like that but you know what i mean like just if no, it's something that absolutely. you're interested in i think you should check it out i'm i'm even trying to get more involved with my local aiga chapter uh we just had a recent open board meeting which i think was really great because we got to see the things that the board is wanting to work on for the next year and you know people from the community can come in and give their input on you know these are things that you should focus on and yeah. It's the kind of thing that I don't think they would have gotten any other way if they wouldn't have had such an open event. And I know that AIJ Chicago also has their share of diversity design type events like panels and things like that. And that's usually what LaShun is uh, is putting forth. So Nick was talking to me about that their initiative and that they're trying to actually vamp that up quite a bit. So I think I definitely want to be involved. Like, I, it's not that I I've had a difficulty like tapping into the network here, not because I don't want to, I don't know. I, I really do a lot of my networking with other black designers that I find. That's where I find my passion at because okay. my, my coworkers day to day, they teach me so much. And then they also introduce me to, you know, previous coworkers or other people they think that I should meet. And I like networking kind of organically like that versus the going to meetings and stuff. I honestly just kind of get tired of it. And I just sometimes say no to things that I know I'm not going to enjoy. And then like external networking with like other black women that are in design, that to me, like, I really love that. And then I try and pass along any information I have. So that's really where I like do my networking at. But who, are, who are some other black women in design that you, you talk to? Uh, a ton of people on Twitter. Right now, I'm actually connected with this woman. Her name is Jessica. And she is actually from... I think she's from Chicago, but I know that she went to Northwestern and she now is she's going to be at Afrotech, which is super exciting to me. And what was exciting about meeting her is because she is like a year older than me, I think. And she's it, based off of like her blog posts and just like, like basically stalking her on Twitter and just like her thoughts. It's like, OK, this is why representation matters, because even just reading that stuff makes me want to continue doing my job and like continue like doing this outreach to others and reaching back to women that I know that are at school right now and like telling them about what I'm doing. Like just seeing that representation is just, it's so important. I'm with you in the same boat in terms of, of networking. I tend to go to these types of events sometimes and I'm just like, Oh, I could have stayed at home. I, know, I don't something, like something it. Something like that. But what, one, one thing I've, I've been forcing myself to do is to go to at least one event every month it's two hours out the month at the most like just go yeah put on your happy face bring some cards talk to a few people kind of you know just network a little bit and oftentimes i found and maybe it's just because it's atlanta but i found i've went and there are more people of color there than i expected yeah you're right (laughs) and again that might be atlanta i don't know if it would be you know similar in chicago but to go at least so they know who you are like they yes. see your face. Like I yes. think if you told them like, oh, I'm a product, I'm a product designer at, at Trunk Club. They might think that's super interesting just based on what you do and want to know more about, you know, ways that uh, you could help out and stuff like that. And when it, and you know, sort of what I talked about earlier with, you know, designers getting involved at that local level. I don't know what AIG Chicago specifically does. I know here in Atlanta we are are trying. Hopefully we'll be we will make it happen. We're trying to kind of put together, I, I want to call it like a liaison between AIGA Atlanta and local government to help mm-hmm. out the kind of ways that I spoke about earlier with, with you know, design 
tasks or projects or things like that. Because the thing with AIGA and, and anyone that works with, with AIGA will tell you is that it's all volunteer, even the board members, everyone. AIGA is not really anyone's first priority. It's like their 19th priority <laughs> in terms yeah. of everything yeah, so. they have to get done. But they realize that for the livelihood of the profession and for, you know, just kind of what we do, we have to use our, you know, again, so like I said before, like finding ways to use our talents to help out. Not saying you have to do this 24-7, but if you can, you know, donate a few hours out of your, your month to help out in a way that would be impactful, it kind of, it balances itself out in a way, I guess. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, for sure. What better way to like kind of get connected and rally with a whole bunch of designers than to go in the spaces that they already are? I, yeah. <laughs> I and I mean, and, I'm, and I'm not trying to like guilt you into it or no, anything get me by together. saying that. You're getting me together right now. That's okay. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's, it's, and honestly, what I find in those spaces is that, I mean, they, they need, want, and crave that level of interaction so badly yeah. Like they want people to come to the events and talk to them because I guarantee you everyone there is feeling the exact same way. Yeah. They're like, oh, I don't I hate networking. Like, I don't want to do blah, 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 X, Y, Z. And then you get there and maybe there's, you know, there's some drinks there's some, you know, some cheese and crackers or something like that. People kind of get to talking and you don't have to be there all night. You know, go show your face mm-hmm. for an hour, maybe, you know, speak to a few people, speak to a few people and then gotta go exchange your cards or whatever you know just gotta get the get it you know kind of get the the ball rolling in a way definitely i'm gonna hit you up in like a month and be like okay i went to three meetups just for you (laughs) okay wait maybe not three like two meetups just for you okay (laughs) no i no i think that you're right and i think that that's a great first step and i think also i think one of the reasons why i i don't necessarily always go is because I I used to do a lot of that. Like I used to go to a lot of these events and I kind of just got a little tired of leaving work, being like the only black person and then going to another event, being the only black person. And it's just Mm -hmm. like, I want to go home and be around my people sometimes. Like I just want to be able to like let my hair down. And it didn't feel like I could do that as well. But, you know, making these connections is super important. And then also like, okay, so why don't I stop just sitting here talking about it and actually create a space or like a meetup or an event like that for you know, our people, or at least that's like driven by, you know, right. and is a little bit more diverse. So, well, and also, sure. and also, you know, if you go into those spaces as the only, you know, person of color or the only black person, at least they see you. Yeah. It's better than, <laughs> yeah, it's better exactly. than nobody being there and them thinking, oh, there's no black designers. Yeah. You know, when it comes to, to outreach for certain things, like I know here in Atlanta, we've got, we we have the the luxury of having several HBCUs in a very close geographic area, but our chapter doesn't do anything with them. They don't talk to them. They don't they don't ex- okay. extend out anything to them. And I don't know if that's on purpose or not. I would assume that it's not. But if there are black designers that are there that are from those schools, that just kind of helps out. I mean, we have a lot of art schools here. We've got mm-hmm. Portfolio Center and Art Institute of Atlanta, and there's art programs that. Yeah you know, other colleges and things like that. But people just tend to overlook HBCUs because they're not these specific art institutions. And that's not to say that there aren't designers there. There are. That's not to say that there aren't even design programs there. There are. But the outreach is not there. And so if you're the black person that's there that brings it up to them, like, what are y'all doing on the South Side? Right. Oh, my God. That's so true. And I think actually we even had a discussion in the Slack, in the Revision Path Slack channel about, we were just going, ranting about some sort of design problem. And you asked me, okay, what would you change? And I listed some things I would change that were very much driven by my experiences. And another male designer was like, wow, I would have never thought about that because I'm like not a woman, but that's so important. And so like, I think this touches on that point. Like I need, you have to be there and kind of just you just have to put in the work and you have to speak up about these things, especially to people that, you know, probably are not going to do that for you because they're not living these experiences right. like you are. And also, if you're the person and I, I kind of hate to put, bring it up in this way, but also if you're the person that's bringing it up and you brought it up to them several times and it doesn't happen, you have more, I guess, leverage to call them out when it doesn't right. happen. 
yeah. than being on the outside and saying, well, how come y'all don't do blah, 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 blah? <laughs> and they're like, well, you haven't been to any meetings. Like, our next meeting is XYZ. But if you could say, I've been to these meetings and talked to these people, what what are y'all doing? Like, yes. what's happening? Because from, I can tell you, like, from our standpoint with, you know, even with the task force, we're always telling people to go to their local chapters and be seen and talk to people. Um, and so if you're doing that and your chapter is still not making it happen, the problem is not you. The problem is the chapter. Yeah. So you just got to start eliminating reasons. Right. So definitely don't make it be yourself. That's the reason why this isn't happening. Exactly. So, for sure. Yep. Well, I know we've, I mean, we've talked about so much stuff, but just to kind of wrap things up, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online? Yeah. So I'm super active on Twitter. That's my favorite place to connect with other people. So my Twitter is Maya, M-A-Y-A, G, Patterson, P-A-T-T-E-R-S-O-N. I'm also on Medium, doing writing here, there. And my portfolio, <laughs> so eventually you'll be able to find me online. I took down my portfolio actually a few months ago, mayapatterson.com. But I'm working on a revamp, so soon to come. Wait for it. And yeah, but really Twitter, though, that's the best way to contact me. And I, I really love that. All right. Sounds good. Well, Maya, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm glad that our, I mean, we, for people that are listening, we briefly interacted in um, <laughs> in the Revision Path Slack community. If, and if you haven't joined, you should. We got over 250 members. But yes, we, do that. we recently just kind of had like a short interaction. And I was like, you should come on the show because we were having a really good conversation. <laughs> and I thought we, like, people should probably hear what we're talking about. So, um, absolutely. You, you just had so many just, good and interesting things to say about kind of how you know designers can help get involved with social issues talking about even you know kind of the own challenges that you faced with becoming a product designer i think that's something that folks that are listening will be able to relate to yeah and uh this is really great i definitely want to hear in the future if you get more involved yeah for sure no i i really appreciate you having me this has been awesome and I have written down a list of things I need to go do based off of this. And I'm not lying, but like I create like a list almost every single time I'm listening to your podcast. Like you spew so much knowledge. It's excellent. So I have my list of things to do, starting with go attend some meetings, aka the local government meetings, as well as some AIGA or whatever sort of design organization. And meetings. I mean, and it could be short stuff. And like, even if you know other designers, like if you know other designers from, from trunk club that might want to get involved or even just other, you know, local designers, like make it a, make it a group event. You all go to something for an hour and then you go get drinks or something afterwards. Like it's not something you have to commit to for life. Like just go check it out, see what it's like, you know, make your presence known and then bounce. And if you want to come back, you can come back. If you think it it helped out, if you feel like you got something from it or, or they want to reach out some more. I mean, it's, it's really about, forging that relationship and so it's it's up to us as designers to kind of take that first step in some cases definitely definitely. all right again thank you so much for coming on the show i appreciate it no thank you and that's it for this week big thanks to maya patterson and thanks to you for listening you can find out more about maya and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com Thanks, of course, as always, to our sponsors, Facebook Design, MailChimp, and Hover. Facebook invests in design. They care deeply about how their design team might do their best work, and that manifests itself in a number of different ways, such as building tools like origami, sharing what they've learned on Medium, and by giving back to the design community. Learn more about Facebook Design at facebook.com forward slash design. More than 10 million people use MailChimp to send email newsletters. Their attitude might be playful, but their business is serious. Sign up for a free account today, MailChimp. Send better email. Hover takes all the hassle and confusion out of buying and managing your domains. Search for a few keywords and Hover will show you the best available options across all the 400 plus domain extensions out there. Ready to get started? Save 10% off your first purchase by using our promo code REVISIONPATH at checkout. This episode was edited by R.J. Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro audio by Yellow Speaker. If you like this episode, please do us a huge favor. Leave a rating and a review for the show on iTunes. It only takes a minute or two. It really bumps us up in those iTunes rankings for design podcasts. And I'll even read your review right here on the show. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch. 
a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. If you like the work that we're doing with the podcast and with the website, then visit us over at Patreon and become a patron. Just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge your support. Pledge levels start at just $1 per month and you'll get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.